Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. And just like that, we are two weeks away from the anniversary of an Immigrant's Life podcast. And if you still want a shout out, send me a quick message on Facebook or Instagram at an immigrant's life and I'll try to read this message on the anniversary episode. Fall is in full swing here in Montreal. The leaves colors are fully saturated. If you're planning to visit Quebec in the near future, you gotta come mid-October because it's the best time for the leaves. Uh, I still remember the first time I saw the mountain full of trees while their leaves are so colorful. I was I just told myself like Yo, do I live in a fairy tale? And it was magical. Speaking of magical, this week's episode is a magical one because our guest this week is an alchemist. She's one of those type of people that carve their own way to reach the goal that they want to achieve. It might take a little bit longer than the norm, but it's more fun. You guys are going to love her. So, without further ado... Let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Our guest today is a writer, an alchemist, and a music enthusiast. Everyone, please welcome Marivi Jimenez. Hi, everybody. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, as mentioned, um, I'm actually kind of shy, but um, I, I'm a little bit of a writer. I have my projects. I work as a digital marketer for a music and record label called Made with Pencil Crayons. And I work with local bands like Lemon Bucket Orchestra um, and Balaclava Blues and Battle of Santiago. So I do that um, social media online. And I'm also just a writer. <laughs> Nothing crazy. Amazing. Amazing. So before we continue, I want to thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Not a problem. And um, yeah, let's hop into it. As I've mentioned on the intro, you are a self-proclaimed alchemist. What does that yes. word alchemist mean to you? It means to be able to create and to manifest what you want in your life. Alchemists take the material that are in front of them and create what they uh, can in the best uh, to their ability. So they can take something and create something completely new uh, from it. So uh, for me, for instance... Um, I've never been a really conventional person. I've jumped around a lot in terms of careers. Um, I never took like a, a very formal way to education. So that's why I like to call myself an alchemist. I've worked, you know, retail. I've worked in the veterinary industry. I've worked um, HR and administration. Um, so I've bounced around a lot. And then I finally kind of settled in marketing and I've been in it for a long time. Um, so that's why I like to use the word um, alchemist because I... I'm the alchemist of my life, basically. I create what I want out of my life, and I don't like feeling tied down to anything for too long. So I like to kind of create something new and find ways to keep myself and my mind stimulated constantly. So that's why I like using that term. I love it because uh, a Renaissance woman. Yes, definitely. You know, I, I, I'm pretty much the same thing. I just, I'll do something, I'll do it to the best of my ability and I hit that level and I'm like, all right, I'm done here. I'm going to move on. 
right? Because there's only so much you can do when you, uh, you know, if you want to do something different, you have to do, try something different. If you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results. Or if you find yourself getting bored with something, um, find a way to re-stimulate it, find a way to recreate it and, and get it born again so that you can find that spark and motivation to do it again. So that's why um, I'm always looking for that extra way to get stimulated mentally. Mm -hmm. But does it, I don't know, this is coming from me personally, is sometimes I look at like people that designate their life to a single thing, a single craft, like a drummer. I've had friends that are drummers since I asked them, when did you start drumming? I was four years old and till now they're still drumming. Do you find sometimes like, I wish I could just focus on one thing or is that an issue with you? See, that's the other thing. And I find, I think that's why I'm, I like to find things that motivate me constantly because I like music and I work in the field and um, my husband's a musician. So I asked him the same thing. Like I play different instruments, but I find myself scattered all the time that I need to create something different and new. So for him, I asked him like, what, what is it that gets you um, so motivated to stick with it? And he's like, um, I like to learn different genres and learn from different um, kind of bands and um, individuals and artists. That's what keeps me interested and it's the passion I have for it. And then I realized my passion um, is the constant learning and the constant discovery of new things. So um, I actually thought of, think about it a lot because it can come across as like wishy-washy to some people that I'm mm. constantly changing what I like to do. Uh, but it's more of, um, I find that that's how my personality is, that I always want to learn. I'm the kind of person that's always looking at documentaries or uh, checking out new lessons on YouTube. So that's what I like to do. And I find it amazing when, you know, I see someone like a, a musician, uh, like my husband that can stick to the one instrument. So I find it fascinating. That's awesome. So quickly, what's your background? Ah, that's the question. So um, I was born in Argentina. Mm. when I was a, a year old and then my parents moved to Canada when I was a year old. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I'm all over the place. I was born in Argentina and I, my parents moved here uh, when I was a year old. Mm. So I've been here my whole life. Um, and basically I've had to grow up and see how my parents um, had to deal with the different things that happen when you move here. Um, and it's not really a subject that I talk to with a lot of people, which is amazing that you reached out to me to want to discuss it. Mm. Um, because when I was very little, um, my mom got very ill. She got something called rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. which is an autoimmune disease that attacks the joints. So at five, I had to basically uh, grow up very quickly and had to learn how to help them um, and take care of my mother. Um, and my dad had to basically change careers. He had, he had a good paying job as a mechanic. Uh, for trucks. And then when my mom fell ill, he had to basically switch his whole career and, um, you know, get into cleaning different kinds of banks and different um, locations like that to help with the mm. family. So um, at a very young age, I was learning how to take care of them and I was helping them uh, with those different jobs. So um, that's basically my immigrant story. I basically grew up here, but my parents were always teaching me how it was important to kind of learn more about my culture and how important it was to keep in touch um, with those parts of the roots of where I am. And um, for me, because I grew up here, and this is the thing that's always been kind of weird for me, I grew up here, so I feel Canadian. This is all I've ever known. Mm. And then when I meet, I would meet other people from Argentina, like 
I don't know if you've met people from South America, but it'd be like, oh, you're from Argentina. You don't look it. Where are you from? Where, where are you from really? Because for the people who are listening, I'm actually really um, tanned. Mm-hmm. So my father, um, so let me, sorry, let me backtrack I'm all over the place. Oh, um, a lot of people from Argentina have European descent. So they're very light skinned um, Italian. You'll always find somebody from there that has somewhere in their family, um, Italian bloodline. So my mother's very light skinned um, Italian looking like, you know, uh, dark hair. And my father's more my skin tone um, from Paraguay. Um, so that was very interesting to me growing up, meeting individuals from Argentina who would say to me, oh, um, you're from Argentina, you don't look it, you're a lot darker. So I would, as a child, what you do with that is you you feel kind of left out and weird about it. But as I got older, um, I kind of turned it into a joke, like a, a game sort of. I would say, oh, you know, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can guess um, what my <laughs> background is. Um, and I would get everything from like Trini to Guyanese to everything in between. And eventually I would say, nope, I'm from Argentina. So as I got older, I would turn it into a game. But it was very interesting to me as a child to see it like um, to see people kind of try to put you into a certain bubble because of your skin color. So that was interesting to me. Um, and for me living here in Canada and learning from like different individuals as and listening to their stories, I'm like, well, how does that make me feel? Like I'm technically an immigrant, um, but I've lived here my whole life. I feel Canadian. So it's constantly trying to figure out where I fit in society. Like I still, I can speak a second language, almost a third with the French and I can talk to people from, you know, Argentina and learn from that part of the, of the, of the world. And at the same time, I have to think about what my imprint is here as a Canadian. So it's always playing that balance of like taking into consideration where I was born, even though I sometimes don't even feel like I'm from there, but constantly being reminded of it. And then also being proud of being Canadian. And the funny thing is I was born July 1st. Mm. (laughs) Um, I was born on Canada day. Um, which is kind of funny when I was five um, up until that point, I thought the fireworks were for me. And so like, my cousin was like, no, no, they're for Canada. Stupid. They're not for you. So like, kind of like when you find out Santa Claus isn't real mm. um, at five, I found out the fireworks weren't for me, but it was pretty funny. Um, I think that's what it is for me. I know it's different for everybody. And um, because of where you live and what you go through, right. You can see the world in so many different ways for me right now. Um, you know, I would love to be able to move to another country and feel what it's like to live somewhere else because I've never known it, which is kind of weird Like to be an immigrant uh, somewhere other than Canada. Um, that's something I've always kind of thought what that would be like because I've never experienced it. And my husband, he's moved from Colombia to the States to here. So he keeps telling me like, yes, you want to experience something else, but you don't know what it's like. Um, to live somewhere else completely away from your family, away from your culture. Um, and he goes, you've lived here. You're basically a, a Canadian, even though um, you immigrated when you were so little. Mm. So um, it's an interesting way to look at it. Cause again, this is all I've ever known. And yet uh, we're all immigrants in this country, right? Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, so. exactly. I, I like that. By the way, how's your mom now? Oh, she's doing good. I mean, she, the, the treatments have gotten better. Uh, she had two kneecap surgery replacements. Uh, so, you know, she's like thriving. Um, yeah, I always kind of add that in there uh, just a little bit so that people can kind of 
the my background like I don't tell a lot of people uh, that little part but it's it's a, something that you know is a part of your life that forms you and, and makes you a little bit about a little bit makes you who you are essentially right uh, the different things that um, you go through but it, it depends on how you react or how you take to it like I could have just gotten really depressed and I like I would have been the one to be like oh you know my my life sucks and we all go through that but I mm-hmm. always with my mom and I see that a lot with like our culture, um, Latinos especially, um, we're allowed to express our feelings and how we're doing, but it's always like, think about how people back home have it worse than you. You were, were, you know, we're so lucky to (laughs) be in Canada. We're so happy. We're so lucky to be here. You know, if I'm tough, you can be tough too. So in our culture, I grew up very much with like, be tough, tough as Mm -hmm. nails, never show that you're, you're struggling. So that's also very interesting. I think a lot of immigrants and Latino immigrants go through that. Like our parents are so tough for making this move here for us. We need to just be tough too. So um, yeah, that's a very interesting topic that I'm seeing come up a lot uh, now, actually on social media, a lot of uh, the youth is coming out with that. Um, It's okay to feel like you're not as strong as your parents sometimes, but you know. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, because like you said, um, adding on your, what you said that, you know, they come f- through hardship. They came here to give us a better life. And then we get our own issues. And then you are, you're judged for not being strong as them, which is not fair. Because as I always, as I say to people, it's like everyone has their own crosses to carry. There are bigger crosses and there's small cross for each, uh, for each individual. However, that's your cross. That's heavy for you. If it's small, it's still heavy for you. Try not to compare your cross to the other person. Right. Um, and that's the thing. And that goes that can go on to, for so many other um, issues or situations or circumstances that we all uh, go through in life. And I, I think it's having that open conversation without judging each other and, and all those things. It's like, oh, I had it so much tougher and, and you know, first world problems versus, <laughs> you know, like that whole thing. It's like, we all have problems. It's just, there's no scale to measure, uh, you know, how we interpret it. Um, it's just how we deal with it. If we can, you know, become stronger on the other end, like as long as you're not using it to you know, hurt other people or benefit yourself in some, you know, bad way, like kind of using it or milking it to, to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. For um, sure. Cause I, I know of people that are like, Oh, you know, woe is me. And um, yeah, I've seen that happen. So, <laughs> so that's much more I'm talking about in that aspect. Yeah, that's right. So you look like a rebel type. Did you like school? Ah, the question. Um, I am the, I was the type of person that never did my homework, but passed <laughs> the test. Um, I went to, yes, Catholics high school. Um, and one time I did, I, we had to take world religion in grade 11. I remember, um, in my high school and I wrote an essay asked telling them like, why, why do we have to always, you know, study something in a specific way and, and questioning why I had to, to write an essay about, uh, why God, why Christianity, I can't remember, it was like some, why Christianity um, was more prevalent over the other, um, other religions. Mm. They wanted us to write something like that. And I said, well, we, we can't be comparing things in, in that way. I don't feel comfortable writing something that is kind of basically asking, comparing religions, essentially. 
Um, so my parents had to come in and talk to them as to why I didn't want to have a like, I'm like, it's, I just didn't feel like writing it. So my parents are like, just let her not write it. It's okay if, if she loses a couple of marks. So um, I've always been that kind of person. Um, and like, I have no gripe with religion. Everyone's open to believe what they want. I just don't like when uh, people feel the need to force it mm-hmm. on others. Yeah. So um, what kind of troubles you got into when you were, uh, other than that, the essay? The essay. Oh, um, a lot of things. I used to skip quite a bit. I used to, um, yeah, like just typical teenager stuff. Just skip mm-hmm. class, leave like um, different posters for, you know, political stuff on lockers. Like, like <laughs> I used to do that too. Really? Like, what kind of posters did you put on there? I didn't like, do posters, but I remember in college, um, they had this wall of freedom, of honesty or whatever. You can write whatever. So I'll write criticism, but in a poetry form. Oh, perfect. So, and, and it's a question. Like, it's pretty much like if someone, for me, it was like someone reads it. Uh, someone will ask, like, what does it mean? And does it pertain to the school or pertain to this person in the school? Listen, I'm not Steinbeck or anyone, but mm. I try, you know. Did you draw your mm. own posters? I would uh, just, like, color them in. I would get someone else to draw them. So it would be usually, like, the lesser of the general opinion. So, like, it could get people in trouble. So I would just color, try to, again, I'm very much behind the scenes. I've never done anything like for attention. Um, so this is why for like my job right now, it's very hard for me to balance that because I like being behind the scenes very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing. Like, and yeah, I would just like paint them or help them with like uh, some of the wording. Again, I'd be like just behind the scenes guys. It's, it was always like the lesser opinion, right? Like, and not to, to cause problems but it's like right now for instance the world is so divided like the internet schism is insane Mm -hmm. uh right now so for me it was always like i do this not to um antagonize or to cause problems or to cause a rile up i do it so that we can look at the other side of the coin or look at the other side of the equation and try to look at an issue without taking too much of a side or being too biased with one opinion and it's so hard uh when everything is labeled all the time to us as misinformation or it's too much on one side it's like let's take politics out of any situation for a little bit and try to look at it as human beings having an experience uh, together be it any situation it doesn't have to be the current world issues now um anything um any specific viewpoint like take the opinion out of it and see um if we can come to some open discussion about basically anything so that was the point behind doing specific uh posters like i don't want to say specifically what we would say because you know um this is like way back but and the issues were different but um that was the whole point of it it wasn't like i find a lot of the times when we try to stand for something or have a stance for something it's always comes across as so one-sided and heavily um covered with what we think is right because that's the thing every time there's a stance on something it doesn't mean somebody's right or wrong it just they feel right and that's mm-hmm. with anything um and it's that constant proving of what your side is or your viewpoint is um so again it's to trigger that thought in you to let you think not trigger emotionally but start that thought process and then 
have it so that you're not getting triggered by it, but that you're saying, hmm, I never thought of it that way, as opposed to, you know, of immediately having to defend your stance because now you're reading something that's outside of what you've always believed. So that was the reason behind doing little things like that in high school or, or, you know, those are the kind of ways that I would rebel. Like I never did anything to, you know, against the law or like <laughs> or steal or anything, but um, just little things to cause mischief um, to just get people thinking. And then that's what I really enjoyed about like social media <laughs> initially Um, and then now it's just, that's, again, goes back to being careful with it. Right. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes too much. Yes. Yes. It's it's anything, you know, it'll be like, I don't know if you know, but back in the days, right. The the Bible was in Latin only. Right. Right. Uh, And then Martin Luther decided like, yo, we should translate it to English. But apparently, which I didn't know. Apparently, there's a lot of people, uh, scholars back then, like, should we do it? Because if we do it, it means anyone can translate it. It's like giving power to individual person. That's what social media did to us. Yep. It's giving individual individual a power, which is good. That's cool. But not everyone's smart. Yep. And that's where the, the whole thing with the misinformation comes and who do you believe and what are your sources and, and what is real and what is not. Um, and I think that's the difficulty like our governments are having too, right? They're having to figure out what to do with this new technology that's giving us um, a lot of power, a lot of information, but a lot of dangerous power. So I feel for them too, like, I think both sides are, are have their stances and I'm talking, I know you don't probably don't want to bring it up, but I'm talking about the whole jab, non-jab uh, conversation that's going on right now. Um, it applies to it. Um, it's people having to, pick a stance right now for what's what's best for everyone so i'm just hoping we can come to some general agreement with the whole thing so that there's not so much of a schism um mm-hmm. that's just my stance on it yeah i agree with that let's serve a little bit you address yourself as latina yes have you heard about that term latin x uh, yes i was just actually watching a video about it uh, yesterday um, see, the thing with me is I've always been the kind of person to be fence. I like to watch both sides, but from my fence and I, my friend of mine told me this was going to come a point where you can, um, and you're going to have to choose. So for me, Latin X, I think the way the world's going is great, uh, in terms of like giving people that opportunity, the space, the voice to g- have the feelings that we always said that, uh, makes us such a great um, country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like for me, um, I'm perfectly fine with using the term Latina. If Latinx works for you, I have no right to tell you that how you feel and how you want to use it bugs me, or you know, I have nothing against it. Like I have always used Latina, I will use it, I'm fine with it. If someone feels like Latinx is something that they want to use and makes them comfortable, go for it. Um, again. If you're not going to bash me because I prefer to use Latina, then I'm not going to bash you for wanting to use Latinx. And I think that's the stance that I wish we could just take. Like, why does everything have to be a, a battle? Why does every why does, is there always a new glass ceiling that we have to break or push through? Um, you know, that's that's just me. <laughs> no, for sure, um, I agree. Like, I think it's just live and let live. You know. 
Yes, there you go. That's it. That was the exact term I was looking for in my head, and I just couldn't live and let live. That is the term right there. Yeah, just don't hurt nobody. Right. You know, just Um, don't take advantage of people. Just do whatever you want to do. You want to worship the sun or a plant? Hey, man, be happy. Just don't come to me like, yo, by the way, this is awesome. You suck. Like, don't do that to me. Right? Don't do that. It's like, you got to do it with this plant, man. It's the plants or nothing. (laughs) It's like, no, I want to check out other things too. Um, So that's the thing. Um, Let live and let live. So that's the only thing. Like, um, there are not everybody thinks the same way. And here's the thing, like there are people and I'm, I know I hate to bring this back up, but um, there are people who let's say got, I'm going to go back to COVID got the vaccine, but aren't bashing on the ones who don't want to get it. They are entitled to choose what they want to do. Will they have to follow different things for the rules for the ones who aren't vaccinated? Yes, but that's their choice. You know, you have no right as a, a human being to make them feel bad because they don't want to do it. Um, they will have uh, to deal with, you know, having to follow more stringent rules and that's it. That's mm-hmm. It's not like they're coming up to you and saying, well, some of them. And here's the other thing, like every group will have people who um, defend it and are, are, are you've seen the comments on, on, you know, Facebook and things like that. There's always very aggressive commentary back and forth. So for me, again, it's like, just live and let live, be on the fence. If they did it, cool. Like, and, but I get it. People are just getting antsy. We want to go back to our lives. Exactly. Um, yeah. But for me, it's like, uh, I mean, I can't do anything to you. I mean, I did what I needed to do. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, let's talk about music. Yes. Let's do that. Yeah. Sorry. I keep going back to the, the COVID thing. No oh, good. So uh, you said you work for the music industry. Yes, I do. Um, so it's actually pretty funny. I've been around with them for like a year in September now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of jumping around doing freelance digital marketing for a bit. And then I saw the posting for made with pencil crayons and I worked with them. So, um, like I said, I, I helped bands with their, their socials, but I'm trying to shift out of that, um, and get into just kind of booking and coordination. Mm-hmm. So that's been a little off because of COVID too. So, um, it's been very interesting to me because I haven't ever been a very conventional person with anything to be working in an industry that's so willing to let me um, go along for the ride as everything changes, as as they say. So, hmm. I mean, I love being able to, and it caters to my wanting to learn something new constantly because um, I'm not getting as antsy or bored with it. And that's what I find is is difficult for me. But like with the music industry, what I'm learning right now is um, having to adapt so quickly and not having what they were, what would be so normal for them to get used to having like set dates, you know, having venues, being able to confirm things for you. um, That's all gone. Um, The uncertainty with the COVID tests and having to adapt to that. So that fast pace, having to uh, learn and do things quickly is what keeps me excited about it. And obviously learning how to do all these things uh, for these cool bands, right? Um, Mm as things change. So that's basically what I do. I mean, I wish I could share more about the cool stuff that we do, but because of COVID, um, all that's kind of like subdued quite a bit. So, I mean, what I do is I like, I'm starting to want to collaborate with some of these different bands on a more music level. Um, but it's getting together with the restrictions that's been like really tough on us. So what's cool is the whole 
thing of uh, virtual and live streaming. I don't know, like, what do you feel about that? Like, are you digging what bands are doing with live streaming? Or do you, do you think it's been like... Not really. You need that energy, you know? You need that experience. Being in a place with so much people screaming and yelling and singing with the band. And that's the most important. And what are you, what's your opinion about bands demanding audiences vaccine passport or COVID test? Mm. They're put in a tough spot. So I think they're just doing what they need to do to, to do their jobs. That's essentially what everyone's doing. They're all just trying to find solutions to how we can still do what we love get back into music but do it safely because you have to be you can't please everybody but you're trying to like unfortunately it is what it is if you're going to force them to do it well is it because of the band is it your management forcing you to do that is it the venue is it a combination of everything mm-hmm. um yeah i mean you have things available to you if you want to see them um but if it's enforced then I don't know. That's that's different for me. I don't. I see. I'm totally for being open and self-aware. It's like it's so tough uh, to say like I don't agree with enforcing something and, and not being labeled, you know, selfish or you know, don't you care about the well-being of everybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I feel like well-being is one thing, but enforcing something is another. But that's a whole other thing. Um, so th- again, I just think they're doing what's best for the industry, really. Um, and we just have to try and do what will help everyone. Of course, actually. of course. Did you try to start a band in high school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who did it, right? Like, I remember, oh, man, I remember I was, like, really big into bands, like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, like that very garage band kind of thing, Garbage. I was really big into Hole, um, mm. all those kinds of bands. I wanted to start, like, I always was fascinated by female, like, alternative um musicians like Darcy from the Smashing Pumpkins like she was my alt idol um unfortunately like you know drug issues poor thing but like um Mm -hmm. that kind of alt girl thing was always what I looked up to and wanted to do but I was always remembering feeling kind of out of place like why would a little brown girl like like um, really really bad I don't okay I'll show you I'll share this story with you Mm -hmm. I went to an Evanescence and Finger Eleven concert back when I was I think 16 or 17 and if you go to like, especially in the early 2000s to mid 2000s, like even, I don't know how it is now, but like, you don't see a lot of like tan people at rock shows, at mm-hmm. metal shows. Um, so I remember staying, standing in line uh, to get into this venue. It was at the conference center near the airport. I don't remember what it was called. Um, and I was standing in line and there was this girl, you know, all golfed up. And just staring at me from head to toe, just staring at me from head to toe. And she's just a kid now. Like, I realized, like, you don't know any better. But she's like, oh, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Why don't you mm-hmm. go to a Sean Paul concert? I think that's what it was. Who was popular? It's not Sean Paul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, don't you belong at like a Sean Paul show? What are you doing here? And dude, <laughs> yeah, I swear to you, just like that, just like that blatant, just, I was like, and I was like, oh, I didn't know music had a specific you know, skin color, culture, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and she was just a kid. I just, I brushed it off, but I, I was just shocked at the um, blatantness of that. So it was like, whatever. I was always into those things and I, I never could fully like start the band because I was always so shy. Again, it goes back to like 
being like the shy one. So now that I'm in it and working around it, and now that I'm older and exposed, have been exposed to so many things, I'm getting that I'm not so shy anymore. Or if I do sing or do anything, it's I do it in private. And then if I want to, I'll show it to somebody. But I've always been a very private person. I do sing. And if if like, I wouldn't even sing in front of my husband. Uh, mm. When he did catch me singing one time, it's because I didn't hear him come home. And he was like recording it with his phone. And I was like, oh my goodness, why would you do that? So can you talk about what exactly what you do in the music industry? Perfect. Um, so I got in, again, as digital marketing. So I help bands like uh, Lemon Bucket and uh, very local folk bands uh, with their social. So I do their communications. And I've been learning a lot lately about the grant process. So if there are musicians... Uh, that are interested in figuring out how the government can help them with, you know, getting funded for projects. I help with that. So I do all oh, the, sweet. yeah, the nitty gritty about, you know, granting and, and what's needed. What does the government look for? How does it work? Because uh, I don't think a lot of musicians know, but especially independent ones, um, if they have projects that um, are of a certain like a cultural impact, they can get a certain uh, amount of funding from the government. So that's uh, what I work with. So how do you get the grant? Well, it all depends on the grant. So if you like, you know, we have to go to the Ontario Arts Council and and uh, all those different kind of denominations of, of um, organizations that help with these things. So, for instance, uh, this past year, they came up with like a, a digitally inclined uh, grant that'll help artists that have been out of work, but want to, let's say, do a stream on um, Twitch, for instance, explain to us why and how you're going to. Um, you know, stream to Twitch. How is this going to help the industry? How are you going to do it? Who are you going to hire to help you with this? And then you have to go in and and tell them, you know, how are you going to break down the money and, and where's the money going to go? Who are you going to pay and how? Mm -hmm. So that's why artists never do it because that takes time. You need to have an accountant. <laughs> you need to have um, a, a PR person. You need mm -hmm. to have your marketing department. And no artist has the time, the energy to have to go hunt all these down. So that's why organizations like ours um, do all that work for you and then do all the research. All you have to do, um, all the artists have to do really is uh, supply us with their um, marketing material and their content. And then we, you know, organize it out for us, plan it out for them um, and submit the grants. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the art, the artists create the art and you do the the grant work. Heavy lifting. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I like All that. that that's that's amazing that you mentioned it because I'd never heard of this ever. Yeah, because it's it's not something that's typically done a lot. And like um, for instance, you know Nomadic Massive, we work I work with Montreal's Nomadic Massive, they're really cool. Um, so we help them with things like that. So yeah, it's it's not something that's often like talked about because it's something that's like such a There's so many loopholes that like there's so many things that you have to cover, so many boxes that you have to check. And by the time that you find out everything that you need, the deadline's already here. Um, and again, artists, they just want to, you know, create music, create art. Like mm -hmm. who's got time for paperwork? You know, <laughs> you, they don't even have the brain for it. <laughs> not, it's I'm, too much. It's, it's too not much. a knock on them. It's just like, you know, they focus on art. Art. Yeah. You know, it's not the selling of the of or it or even like being a marketer of it you know not all obviously so there are some musicians that are good marketers but come on like maybe like one out of a thousand right yeah because music art is so subjective so that's what's making marketing it so difficult because you don't want to 
it's not something that you want to shove down people's throats. You, they either like it or they don't. Um, so it's always finding that balance as like, for me as a marketer and why, you know, and it's so funny and I'm, I'm going to probably get shot in the foot for saying it, but like I work in it, I secretly despise like um, social a little bit. Cause it's like such a numbers game all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, and I, I, you know, YouTube is really bad for this. Um, they changed their um, like dashboard. If you log in the first thing you see and that is constantly being fed at the artist or the content creator is, you know, Oh, you're X percent lower or X percent higher than, you know, this person, Mm-hmm. you know, create more content like this, um, which I don't like. It's toxic for the content creators. Why you're seeing so many YouTubers um, so stressed out mm-hmm. when you're constantly being told what's popular and that mm-hmm. you're not at that level, that you're not popular like these people that are trending. It mm-hmm. does things and it changes the the quality of, of the kind of art and music and stuff that we want. Um, so that's always been my gripe with the industry that is digital I'm in it. I'm fortunate. I'm happy to have my job. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, it didn't exist, but I can also see the parts of it that are toxic um, and why a lot of people that are in these social media, like account management roles um, have a time, tough time with it. It's it's always just the numbers game numbers. And it's like, it's always about the money, always about the money and the numbers. Now the followers, the views, the, and it's, it gets like, you know, I'm in it and I tell them like, I'm not in it to make a lot of money. I'm in it because I like being around musicians, learning about their art, um, you know, vicariously just being an artist with you. Cause you know, I never had the balls to come out and perform because I have really bad performance anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. I'll do it alone. Um, and I've slowly started to do it with a camera so that I can look at myself. Uh, but you know, I'm very happy that I've been there for a year and they've given me the confidence to slowly start doing that. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it comes to them, like, are we going to focus on the numbers and be marketing music and artists and, and stuff that uplifts us as just another T-shirt? Or are we really going to show what is important to people just because we have a voice and want to say it through art? Um, I guess that's been always the eternal conversation when it comes to music i mean back in the day it was record labels and you know selling out to you know be on top 40 and be on the billboard and nowadays it's views on youtube and every artist you know it's not just your music you you have a merch shop or your your social media has become your 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 product merch center um Mm. so that was always my gripe with it but as long as you know we have people who appreciate music then we can keep doing what we're doing yeah, that's in the end. It's all about the audience anyway, the fans. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about being in front of them. It could be five. It could be five thousand. Do they? Did they love you? That's the question. That's the question. That's it. Do you right? feel the love? Yeah, yeah. That's my only thing. Like, and I feel for it. People are just trying to make money in the field that they love, and I get that. Yeah, of course. You know, like, like you, know, you mentioned about selling out a few decades ago. Uh, bands won't even allow their songs to be uh, used on commercials. You know, right. like they're like, "Oh, that's selling out." And then now every band wants to be on a commercial, almost all of them, because that's money. And yeah. yes, like you said earlier, it's it's the balance, right? It's the art and the business. You need money to continue making art and Your better art. art, right? But you need the art to feed the money. You know, like it's vice versa. You just have to find your way and be good at it. Saying it like 
for me, like in person, there are I have friends that are marketers and they're like, oh, why don't you do a video? Why don't you do this? Why don't you put reels? And I'll be like, because that's not me. You know, it's not, if I do it, I won't feel comfortable. It's not my thing. You said it, you said it. And that's, that's my moral dilemma uh, right now. Because, and you know, oh, you know, it, being in this industry, working where I am, has, it's what I've always wanted. Mm. But marketing, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I, like, I don't know how else to say it. Exactly. It's, like, it's just like being with people, talking to people. Hey, guys, buy my product. You know, I'm, and like, I'm not like that. I'm not that shouty sort of look at me kind of person. Like the few things that you see on my social are because they're just there. And I'll slowly start to do it again once I start working on my own um, stuff. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not a mark and I work in it, uh, but I do it for other people. I just can't do it for myself. Yeah, exactly. So when we got into the pandemic and we got, you know, stuck in this in our houses, how did you feel not seeing live music? Oh, they, they tore the one. And that's the thing with me. Like, you know, people look at one picture of you on, on Instagram and they have one idea of you. Like I am not huge into going to clubs. I'm not huge into, you know, those kinds of activities. Um, I go to concerts. I go to a lounge or a bar and I go to the movies those are the, the things that I like to do for fun outside from being like, um, as long as I'm around musicians, I'm happy. So when they <laughs> took that away from me, it was, it was a big hit because I really don't like doing much outside from reading or like writing. Right. Uh, mm. What I do write is um, like just lyric, lyrical poems. So I'll, I'll use something like um, two, two unique words that are put together and I'll just write, and I'll add them all into my wall. So for the wall, for that day, I'll use that phrase, like digital dysphoria I'll use. And I'll, for that day, I'll just figure out phrases that start with two Ds all day and add it to the wall. And mm-hmm. if something comes up, I'll continue playing off of it and continue writing off of it. So right now, I'll show you. I know that people listening can't hear, but I'll show oh, you. Oh, good. That's my wall of stuff oh, right now. That's awesome. <laughs> so she's showing me like a room and on the wall, she has like words that for her mean something. Not right now. It's not like a poem or anything. It's just like big words. Big, like, yeah. It's a, they're titles or chapters and um, every month that will change. Or um, So I always have something constantly there. So that was put up. That wall was put up when the pandemic hit mm. um, because I couldn't go outside anymore um, to look at things or take pictures of things to do something like that. So I just started writing based on um, whatever music I was listening to at the time or my dogs did something funny. I would put it up there and build off of that. Mm-hmm. So that's what kept me sane because uh, I, I don't do much else, <laughs> right? So Yeah. Um, What's the process of your writing? Like, do you sit down and write or you just let the muse whisper the sweet fruit of poetry to you? A little bit of both, a little mm. bit of both. So sorry, that was my dog. Um, um, so sometimes, again, it's, it could be a song. It could be something that I heard somebody say um, while they're walking past me. And I'll mm. try to keep it because with me, if I don't write it down right away, I lose it. Oh, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's because I, 
of my ADD or what it is, but like um, I need to have it written down right away. So that's why I love my notepad on my, my, my iPhone. Mm -hmm. The only thing is I have a bad habit of just writing it and not on some days, like I like writing it and then having context as to, you know, did somebody say it? When did it happen? At what time? What was the weather like? What was I feeling? Was I hungry? Was Mm -hmm. I cold? Those are the things that I wish I took more time to put in as I'm thinking it on the go. Because life is like so go, 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 that when I do think of something and I do take the time to add in those extra layers of context, Mm -hmm. when I go back to review it later, like maybe two weeks later, it's like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. And that's how I was feeling. Cool. Like, let's build off of that. Um, Okay. Oh, so you write details when it comes. Right. If if I can. If I'm, yeah, if, if I'm on, if I'm walking around and it just, it's a phrase and I just type it in and I go back and look at it and I didn't add that extra layer. It's like, oh man, but what was I feeling that day? What was, what was really going around me? Was it cold? Was it raining? Maybe, you know, so something like that. So I can go back and not even a smell, I'll add a smell. Was I smelling cinnamon buns when, when I came to that thought Mm -hmm. so that I can go back and say, what was happening that triggered it? It was just completely random. Um, and then if I go back and read it a few weeks later, it's like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll turn it into this, something like this for wow, now. And then, that's crazy. Yeah. I never, I, like, I, I do write too, but I would not write the details. You are more meticulous than me. I, I'm lazy. I just write the lines and then hopefully it builds itself. Yeah, exactly. Like I much prefer writing the lines and it builds itself, but I do more the contextual stuff if I feel like I might run into like burnout and, and writer's block. So I do that for myself to put me back in that spot so that maybe I can relive what I was going through when that came to mind Mm -hmm. so that I can retrace it and build off of it that way. So that's what I find helps me. Yeah. Because the the writer's block is unbearable sometimes. And it's just the flashing, blinking light, like cursor. It's like, um, I do miss physically writing. I find now that because I'm so digital and I type, my hand cramps when I try to physically physically write for a long time whereas before i could physically write for so long and and now it's like oh my hand is cramping type 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 yeah (laughs) same here i i like the romantic romantic idea of writing it by hand but then you write i don't know maybe 10 lines i'm like okay dude it's it's killing me right now it's killing me we're good let me let me type it or what i usually do is i record my voice if it comes i record it you mentioned that your husband is a musician. Do you write lyrics for him or? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, he's a drummer, but he's an extreme metal drummer. So it's like very heavy, like double bass. <laughs> like, um, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. He's like really into extreme metal, like bands like Cradle of Filth and those kinds of things, like really uh, heavy stuff. So um, like I typically just write poetry for, for myself and I if people want to read it, cool. But um, I do art and I do music because I, I love to do it. Even in, in this industry, like I, I work in it not to make a lot of money, but just because I love to do it and, and because life is so short. Okay? I've never been one to like, you know, go to school, do this until you're this age. You know, the most conventional thing like I, I did was get married. Um, mm-hmm. And I always said I would never get married. Um, <laughs> but I did. I got married. Um, and that was like the only conventional thing. I've really done in terms of school and stuff. I've just kind of bounced around and, you know, everything I've basically learned is because people like, for instance, the digital marketing agency, um, I got hired there as a writer 
um, as a content writer and a blog writer. Um, and I got hired there making 15 bucks an hour, like mm -hmm. nothing, right? I'm, I'm not nothing, but, you know, considered to what most writers, you know, want to get paid like 20, $25 an hour to yeah. write sometimes. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll take it, whatever, for experience. And, and that's another thing, like, I'm finding people like just turn things down right away because they don't, you know, you sometimes you have to pay your dues and work your way up. And, and that's what I did. I was there for about a year making that amount of money, just writing. And they saw that I had a desire for more and they just kept training me. And then they paid for my schooling for digital marketing and wow. they, they helped me get all these certifications. So, you know, I spent a year just writing blogs for um, different websites. Um, and I did, marketing for Sokoloff lawyers for a long time for like a good three years um after I did all my that stuff so for me it's always been just able to kind of blend and take my skills hands-on and apply them like that so for me I take that same thing in writing I I've just bounced around a lot mm -hmm. crazy wow that's crazy yeah but like it, sorry go ahead. go ahead sorry I was gonna say like when you write do you put your uh, Latina flavor in there Ah, it depends. It depends. Like sometimes, uh, and it's funny, like it's hard for me um, around other Latinos because they don't feel like I'm really Latina because I'm from Argentina. <laughs> so that's always been the other thing. So not only do I not look Argy, I call it Argy, Argentina, Argentina, mm -hmm. but I'm not Latina enough because it, they're viewer centric. So Yeah, I heard there's <laughs> like a friction between Latinos or Latinas that are like Argentinas are more like uppity up. Is this yeah? True? That's, the, that's a, I don't know. I'm subjected some some you know not not to generalize, but they do say us that way. Um, there's this joke that says um, my dad used to tell me he goes um, a kitten or a cat from Argentina will look itself in the mirror and see a lion. <laughs> they have that pride. Yes, that pride that 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 very patriotic. But um, so stuff like that. But yeah, I try to add what I do try to add um, about my culture is, is that it's changing now, but it's that Argentina has always had like a sort of a race um, thing issue, not issue, but, you know, like it's always been like that a little bit like that, I guess, in, in a way, because um, they're, again, very Eurocentric. So it's always been that issue with skin color from them but I think it's just perception and that's changing um so I think that's again going back to how I was growing up and feeling that way like my mother always stood up for me and and um kind of defended the, like you know you know don't let any of that ever get to you you were born there and then you just look a little different or I would joke and say oh I was just left in the bun the bun was left in the oven a little longer or whatever right um so things like that so like I think that's what always deterred me from wanting to say Yes, I'm from Argentina because I always got that sort of answer. Like, are you really Latino though? So for me, when I add uh, anything having to do with my country, it talks about, you know, that feeling of wishing I could be there and learning more about it outside from what the people here have taught me about it. Um, mm. When I was 18, I was going to go there and study. I wanted to go to university there because um, university in Argentina is free. You don't pay tuition, kind of like Germany. <laughs> My dad's like, yeah, right. You're 18 and I'm going to let you go to Argentina by yourself. You're crazy. Have you ever been back? 
to visit? No, I haven't. Every time I want to go back, um, there's something that that happens and I, and I can't go, unfortunately. And then uh, COVID hits, but I have been wanting to go back. I mean, I did go to, to Spain in February of 2020, right before everything shut down. Literally a week after we got back, um, we were all in lockdown. Had we stayed there a little longer, we would have been stuck in Spain. Oh, well, my I husband mean, and I. It's not a bad yeah. place to be stuck in. Not a bad place to be stuck. And no, we were on the, in the Canary Islands too, Lanzarote. Ooh, that's yeah, beautiful so there. Cool. Beautiful. Did you guys beautiful. plan that? Uh, was there family there? What's, uh... Yeah, yeah. So he has family there. His aunt lives on the island. And it was so funny because I was so tempted to move there. And that's where we got the whole immigration conversation happening. Like, oh, yes, it all looks nice when you're tour- when you're you know mm-hmm. traveling and you're a tourist. But when you live there, it's something different. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I would have loved to, to stay there for a bit. Have yeah, you wanted exactly. to check out any other places? I like, I like what you, what your husband said, because I had a, I have a friend, she actually came on the podcast and she lived in Hawaii. Awesome. Right. And she even said it. She said, I got sick of Hawaii. I had to leave. Really? Yeah. Is it because it's the island and you can't move anywhere else? Because that's what people usually tell me well you know you get it's like in anything you get used to something and you lose the appreciation of it right that's the word and then she left because she's brazilian she went back to brazil and like in a few weeks she's like why did i leave (laughs) i need to go back did you go back is she still in brazil no she she moved to california now oh nice yeah so that you know but um it is hard to move. It is hard. It's it's easy for us to say like, oh, I want to move. I want to move. But then you move and you're, where's my family? Where's my comfort? Like being, you know, like you, you, like you said, you're Canadian, really. Right. You have to restart. Right. Yeah. And start your roots, start make friends. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be easy for you to make friends. You seem like a positive person, but it's still a restart in the end. Yeah, that's the thing with with making decisions in life that I always kind of step back and think like there's always this this phrase and I'm seeing it now, especially in our society with the schisms like um, I have this thing where it's like if you dig enough, you will find skeletons on people. You will find what you know, like everybody has a story. Everybody has a previous life. And for me, it's like how do we know that the choices we make are the right ones when we make them? And how do we know that they're going to be the right ones in five years, in 10 years, you know, five years later, we're going to say, Oh, that was the right choice for me at the time, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me, it's like, and it's impossible to do, right. It's like, how can I make a choice where I don't have to maybe say that in five years? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that was the right choice for me though, two years ago. So, or five years ago or whatever. Um, So I'm constantly like, okay, when it comes to my choice. So when it comes to like wanting to, you know, move somewhere else, that's one of the ones that's like, I can't, I don't have an answer for that. I just have to go and do it. Um, Mm. And I've always wanted to, but again, it goes back to, yeah, you lose your appreciation for it. You're going to miss your comfort zone. And that's what my husband always emphasizes. It's like, you don't know what it's, what it's like. And I'm like, yeah, I really don't. Um, You know, he's from Colombia and he, he moved right in the middle of when things were going bad there. And, you know, having to go to the States and living a life when you don't have papers and, you know, that fear of like, they're going to kick us out here at any minute. Um, he's like, you have no idea what that's like. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't. Um, so 
I can see his his worry about that. It's like it's not like we're gonna uh, get up and move. But I think, and it's so interesting to be in a marriage where you're completely different in that sense, where it's like, oh, you know, you've moved three times. You know what it's like to live without papers and have to come to Canada as a as a refugee. Um, mm. And I've been here my whole life and I want the immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, and then, you know, tying in that beautiful compromise that is marriage of like, okay, well, I get it. We're not going to live anywhere else. And now we can't because of COVID, but we're not going to live anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what can I do to, to, to make it so that you get the same experience without like missing out on it? So it's been like, okay, we'll travel a lot. <laughs> so that's the, the compromise. That, that's perfect. I mean, if traveling is, it does work. It has, it gives you that, uh, that feeling of immigration, but you have to stay up, you know, I don't know, let's say six months, I guess, and live with the locals. Because if you're just going to stay, you know, if you go to Cuba and you stay in the resort, that's not trap. That's not absorbing the right? culture, you know. That's I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one thing I have a debate with all the time. You know, you know, resort resort versus excursions. It's like I did the resort thing once and I was like, okay, cool, but I'm bored now. I if I travel, I want to see the architecture. I want to learn mm. about the culture, the buildings, the people, the the food. Yeah. Um don't give me like resort food that's made there to to cater to western or to whatever north american food or you know burgers and stuff yeah exactly like uh, a good example is was me um, a family member of me my wife is canadian she's Caucasian, and her family went to the philippines to visit and they're all Caucasians, right and you know they experienced philippines they did but when i went home because i'm a local I went home. I brought my kids with me. They experienced Philippines. They were in the, they were in the slums. You know, they were experiencing playing with kids that are poor. So when they, we all both came back home, it was a different experience. Like you said, their their experience was more, was more of like a resort experience, uh, rather than my kids, my kids' uh, experience was like. Oh, yeah, we played in the slums, you know, we play with the kids that are, you know, dirty and poor, and they love it. They actually loved it. They absorbed the culture. They did. And I think they'll come back with a more of an appreciation, right? Um, that's another thing. My husband was telling me that he worked with this uh, gentleman and uh, his kids were just being ungrateful. And, you know, I think the family was from, from Ghana, I think, the, mm -hmm. the his co-worker it's like his kids were complaining about their iphones not being the latest one. Oh boy so for the summer he said okay we're gonna take a, a vacation so they go and uh he goes to to ghana to visit the grandmother or family there and then he leaves them there for a month oh no like, okay I'll, I'll come back in a month no worries well about that dad but where are you going i thought this was a family vacation oh uh, it yeah. is i'll be back in a month under under like uncle aunt grandmother rule there and i don't know if it was ghana it might have been somewhere else but mm -hmm. he said he went back the month later and like yeah they were so ready to go home they they had a different view things like they, they weren't you know um you know there was no child abuse or anything like they mm -hmm. had pictures like everything was fine but they didn't have all the luxuries that they have here like you know they didn't have the constant wi-fi and everything like that um, so it definitely gave them a perspective of what the other side of the world is like and, and what they truly have. Um, so it's like, yeah, it gave them an eye opener. Like, 
huge. (laughs) But these are teenagers, right? 14, 15 year olds. Um, You know, it just gave them a moment to work on the farm kind of thing with, with their relatives. Um, just to give them a little, and they made a little bit of money too. It wasn't like he sent them there to be slaves or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that. Uh, it wasn't one hundred percent immersion, right? Yeah, it wasn't. But like he, just the way he said the story, it was like, yeah, you know, the the father was telling me, my friend was telling me from my works, like I took him there for a month, I left them there with my relatives, they came back completely different and with a different perspective, and they've never complained about their phone since. Yeah, did did the, your parents ever do that to you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They would t- basically one time I had to spend a week uh, with like another friend's family or something uh, just to get me to like, it was a camp or something like a, they went to like a special camp. It wasn't like a boot camp, but mm-hmm. they trained us to like, um, you know, do, you know, survival, survival camp. Okay. Um, yeah. I went to a friend to a survival camp for like a week um, just to learn to do things like that. But um, I think it's important for parents to do that. Like I, if something were to happen, how many of us know how to start a fire without a match? How many of us can grow a garden? How many of us can, I don't know, change a tire? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know we have YouTube and stuff uh, but to learn on, but really, I think it's things that kids should be learning and they shouldn't be taking, they should be, be implementing it more into schools. Yeah, I agree with that. Or, or how to handle finance. Oh, that's the number one. I think that's not even offered, but they forced when I was in high school, they always hear everything's, I don't know how it is now with the school system, but everything was divided into applied academic and essentials. So they would prep you for academic, everything university. So all your courses were catered to a level of theory, uh, very less practical. And then your, your, you know, applied, you got more into your hands-on math and same thing with essentials. And I never understood why finance wasn't kind of interwoven in there. I think the closest thing to learning that was a math for, for mortgages. Um, and that was it. Like one chapter on mortgages and that's it. Wow. Well, and how yeah. to save, like, they don't teach you. Mm-hmm, um, I agree. Listen, uh, we're getting there, but uh, just one more question, if you, if you don't mind. Go for it. How do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. Um, I see myself hopefully still in the music industry, hopefully um, still working with artists and musicians, hopefully not in a marketing way, but more in a, on a like one-to-one consulting way. Um, and I see myself hopefully being more brave and more out there and not so behind the scenes as much as I love it. Um, hopefully mm-hmm. be able to be more confident and out there. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You just have to. Take that leap. It sucks and it's scary. It is. But you know it's the right thing. It you are is right, the right sir. thing. Right? Right. That's why it's scary. Yeah, I think I think so. You're absolutely right. But yeah, that's where I see myself. I mean, just trying to live my best life, trying not to get too dug up in the politics of mm-hmm. everything in the world right now and just mm-hmm. try to be in music and, and see where it takes us. That's awesome. Marvi. Thank you for spending your morning with me. I really do no, appreciate this is a fun conversation. I'm glad. Thank Sorry you. if I was like such an, I, I call myself an awkward turtle, but um, I, I really enjoyed this. It's so nice to talk or speak with someone um, that's offering this as a platform to everyone. So I really appreciate the invite. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you again, Marvi, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Erin Del Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.